Well, if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab it right now? We're going to be in Revelation 21 this morning, Revelation 21. I don't know about you, but in times like this, I have been needing to experience and to remind myself of the hope that we have. Now, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and you hear that word hope and you're confused by it. I want to invite you this morning, maybe for the very first time, to a, a true answer, a true way that we can find hope in times like this. And so what I want to do is I want to read you Revelation 21 as we begin, and then I'll be spending some time to actually describe what's happening here and how this fits in and provides hope for us in a time like what many of us are experiencing right now. Revelation 21. This is what we read there. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Now I'm going to come back to that text. Um, A couple weeks ago, at the beginning of March break, uh, many of us, I think, probably had some plans about what we were going going to be doing for March break. And for many of us, those plans changed. Uh, My wife, Andrea, we picked her up from work on the Friday afternoon about 5 o'clock. And we started the drive down to Florida. I had been invited to speak at a retreat uh, down in Florida for a group of youth. That youth retreat had already been canceled given the news about the coronavirus. Uh, But we still contacted the retreat center and said, can we still come down? And so they said, yes, you can absolutely still come down. So we got into our van. My plan, uh, as I realized afterwards, extremely negligent, was to just drive straight. And it's a bit negligent because of the age of my kids, uh, Nixon being five and Cade being three. But we got into our van. We got some booster juice, got into our van and started the drive. The border was no issue. And about eight o'clock, so already three hours in, I realized maybe what we were getting ourselves into, which was a bit of a problem because my boys started to express that their backs were sore in their car seats. Again, a a point of negligence. Then 11 o'clock, we stopped to get gas. And then at 1230, um, we were just entered into West Virginia and we were about to hit the mountains of West Virginia. And people had told me before the drive, just be careful. If you're planning to do it all in one shot and leaving when you are, you're going to hit the mountains at a bit of a, a, a bit of a risky time in the middle of the night. So just be making sure you're extra cautious. Well, I got to be honest, at that time at 1230, I leaned back, Andre was sitting between the car seats in the second row with the kids. And I said, how are you feeling? And she said, I'm feeling okay. She said, how are you feeling? And I was honest with her. I said, Andre, I'm not feeling good at all. I think we need to turn around. She's like, you think we need to turn around? I said, yeah, I think we need to turn around. 
And so the next exit, I got off the exit, we wrapped around, came back on the highway and started heading home. We left our house at 5 p.m. on the Friday evening and we got home at 6.30 a.m. on the Saturday. Now you might ask the question, well, why did you turn around? And for us, it was the feeling of the unknown. What's gonna happen? We don't know what the accommodation is gonna be like. We don't know how quickly things are gonna continue to escalate. We didn't know what the future held. And that caused a level of anxiety and uh, lack of peace for me and for Andrea. And so we made the decision to turn around. And then we were at home and we did a week of staycation. For many of us are experiencing what that looks like and what that means to have a staycation. But I think that example and that story maybe in some way illustrates for how many of us are feeling right now. Some of the challenges that I know we've been feeling and experiencing with this coronavirus is not knowing what the future holds, not knowing how long this is gonna last, not knowing about some plans that we had for the future that were gonna be changed. Um, my wife, Andrea, has been laid off from work. She's, she works in a dental office as a restorative hygienist. And there's all these questions about how long is this going to last? And for many people, for the very first time in their lives, maybe in a very distinct and unique way, they're feeling their lack of control. Which, if we're honest, I mean, it's always been false. None of us really have absolute control. But right now, more than ever, we're realizing the lack of control that we have. And many people at this time, and maybe for you, you're sitting there and you're saying, where's God in the midst of this suffering? I mean, people are dying, where is God? And this is where I believe we need to remind ourselves who God is, what God has done, which then helps us understand who we are and then what we are to do. And we find out all of those things in what is called the story of God or in the Bible. This is my Bible. I spend time every single day. I spend time reading it. But helping you to understand and for me to be reminded of what's going on in the scriptures, what's the story of the Bible, I think is a key to helping us understand how do we make sense of what's going on in our world today I also think it's important because for many of you that are followers of Jesus, your neighbors, friends, and coworkers are experiencing something, as I've said, that they've never experienced before, that you've never experienced before. And so they're gonna be looking for a measure of trying to understand what is going on, how to make sense of it. And I think that as a result has created such an opportunity for followers of Jesus to share with others what their reason for hope is. And so in the story of God, if we're to go to the story, every good story has a beginning. And the story of the Bible begins in the very beginning, the beginning before every single beginning. And in Genesis 1 verse 1, we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The universe did not come into existence by accident. The universe came into existence because a personal loving God created it. And he created it for the purpose of being in relationship with humanity and ultimately so humanity would point to him and glorify him. And when he creates, like any good artist, if you think of a visual artist who goes to a canvas who has purpose and intent in what they are painting, God comes to the canvas of the blank slate of nothing and creates everything with a purpose. And during the end of his creation, he creates humanity. Now humanity is unique compared to everything else in creation. It's made in God's image, like God, but different and distinct from him. It's amazing. And God is in relationship with these first humans. And everything is perfect. We read that Adam and Eve walked with God. God's presence was there. They felt his presence. There was no ambiguity about that. And as part of God's purpose and design in creation, he gives humanity 
a set of understandings of his rule and his reign and that they're to trust him, they're to obey him, they're to trust him as their authority. If you're part of City Kids, this part of the story is called God Rules. God is ruling his creation and human beings are living under that rule and that reign and they're satisfied. But the story doesn't stay in creation or in God ruling. The story changes. And the second part of the story for our city kids is that we sinned. Or as adults, we're maybe familiar with it, it's the fall. When Adam and Eve decide not to follow God's rule and God's reign and his directions, but to take their fate into their own hands. And they believe a lie. They believe that they would be better off if they lived their life apart from God. And the consequences to that fall, the consequence to their sin is far more reaching than I think they probably could have ever imagined. And in many ways, it's very similar to us now. And we still live in light of this fall in our own sin. And some of the effects and consequences of our own sin, we maybe don't realize how far reaching they are. And it was the same for these first humans. Their relationship with God is broken. Their relationships with themselves is broken. They immediately feel shame. And everything has changed. Death enters the world. Sickness enters the world. The capacity for disease enters the world. And at this point in the story, God could have said, okay, I'm done with humanity. But for the remainder of the entire Old Testament, we see God continue to pursue people, continue to pursue his creation. And God sends prophets who tell the people of Israel and tell God's special people in the Old Testament, the Israelites, that there would come someone who would be their rescuer, who would be their Messiah, who would restore the relationship that was broken in Genesis 3, that would bring absolute redemption to that relationship. We then are introduced to Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the Gospels tell us pretty early on who this Jesus is. That Jesus of Nazareth is not just simply a man, but Jesus of Nazareth is this Messiah, is this rescuer who has come to restore the relationship between humanity and with God. And so this is part of the story for our city kids where God provides. God provides Jesus. God himself comes to live among us, to dwell with us, and to be our God. And then at the end of Jesus' life, his physical life on this earth, he dies. He's crucified on a cross. He then is buried. But three days later, he actually comes back to life. It's something that he said would happen. He dies for the sin of humanity to restore a relationship with God. And then he comes back to life promising that we now can have eternal life. That when we physically die on this earth, that we can look forward to one day where we will be resurrected again. The promise of the scriptures is actually is that when we die, we are present with the Lord. And so Jesus comes and does for us what we could not do for ourselves. He lives the perfect life that we could not live and dies the death that we should have died so that we can have a restored relationship with God. So Jesus gives. And then he gives us the opportunity to respond. John 3.16, a verse we studied a number of weeks ago, 
says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. This is incredible. And this is the opportunity that we have to respond to God's gracious and good gift in coming to earth and doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, which results in our putting faith and our trust in him, which means now the life we live now, we actually don't need to fear death because we know when we die, we will be with God. Now, this isn't the end of the story. And the scriptures, as I read for us a little bit earlier in Revelation 21, tells us the end of the story, which is really an eternal beginning. And that is restoration. Some of us have heard this term, restoration. And in these first six verses of chapter 21 of Revelation, we read what this absolute restoration is going to look like. Back at Christmas Eve, I put it this way. In verses one to two, we see an absolute restoration, a remaking of creation, a, renova a renovation, making all things new. Everything that was broken will be no longer broken. Absolute restoration. Secondly, in verses three to four, we see absolute presence. The presence of God is not ambiguous to people. We read that God is going to be with his people and the people of God will be with their God. It's incredible. And then in the verses of five and six of Revelation 21, we see that there's going to be absolute provision that for those who are thirsty, There'll be an endless supply and they won't need to pay for it. In other words, every longing that you've ever had, every desire for satisfaction that you have ever had is ultimately to be met in God. And that when Jesus returns inaugurating this restoration, that what will begin at that point is a period forever, for all of eternity, where every longing you have will be met by God and you will be satisfied completely. Now, the thing about this restoration, this thing about this future that's important to clarify at this point, and many people want to experience that, but it's important in verses five and six to see that those that actually want to experience this are those that are thirsty. In other words, they're people that know their need. In other words, they don't have what they need, but they need something else. And that thing that they need is God. And so restoration in a future or what heaven will be like is a place for people that know their need because they know they need Jesus and they will then be with him forever. So this is the story of God, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. For city kids, it's the story of the gospel that you learn and that God rules, we sinned, God provided, Jesus gives, and then we have the opportunity to respond. Now you might be saying, okay, why is this important for me to know right now? Why, why is it important for me to consider this? Or maybe for the first time, if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's the very first time you've ever heard this story before. Here's why this is important. I think it's important for three reasons, and then there's going to be a couple of subpoints beneath each of those reasons. The first reason is this, is that God understands and he sees our suffering. God understands and he sees our suffering. This is what John Stott wrote and said, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God 
who was immune to it, a God who is immune to the pain, immune to the suffering. We believe in a God in through Christ, the Son of God coming to earth, he suffered and died. He experienced pain. Why? He does it for you and for me. Therefore, what we understand is that our God actually understands pain and suffering. He didn't make himself immune to it. And on the cross, Jesus, God's son, God himself, experiences and suffers. So when we have pain and when we suffer, we can know that God empathizes with us. He knows our experience and therefore we can run to him. The second thing that this story helps us understand is that we're actually still in the middle of the story. We're still in the middle of the story. We haven't experienced restoration yet. We're still living in the in between of redemption and restoration, which means a couple of things. The first thing is it means is that God is not absent. You have to remember that God is not absent and that he is slowly day by day revealing things to us, meaning that we can't possibly comprehend why what is happening is happening, but one day we might. If you picture a, a book that is being written and, and you're living life on one page and then you begin to experience the future because the page turns, God's the author. And God is slowly revealing to us each and every single day different things. And some of those pages are painful. And maybe for you, you're experiencing that pain. You're going, asking God, why? And what we need to do is trust that he is the author and that he knows what he is doing. He suffered and that he, then he is also present with us. What this also means is that Satan's sin and death have yet not been fully destroyed. Part of that absolute restoration that we read about in Revelation 21 is also the destruction of everything that is evil and absolute justice brought. But we're still living before that, which as I said, means Satan, sin, and death are still a reality that we experience. It means there will be broken their relationships. There will be death. There will be things that happen in this world we don't understand. We see the corruption. We see the justice. We want things to change. And we will, therefore, experience loss. And I have to be honest with you, over the last couple of weeks, I can describe my experience very similar to what somebody who experiences loss experiences in, in only some small way, but ultimately what that process is called. And it's called the stages of grief. And I would say that I've been experiencing grief. Now you might say, okay, well, what is grief or what are the stages of grief? These are the various stages of grief. The first stage is shock and denial. Shock and denial. Maybe for you, you're experiencing shock and denial as it relates to COVID-19, this coronavirus. You're like, this isn't happening and it's not going to change my life. I think many of us were probably there a couple of weeks ago. I was certainly there when I got in my van to drive down to Florida. Or as Andre was laid off work or his vacation plans, things were changed and canceled. Shock and denial. The next stage of grief is anger. This is frustration, anxiety, irritation, shame, and embarrassment. I got to be honest, I've certainly been there as well over the last couple of weeks. Not understanding, angry, trying to blame somebody for why this is going on. The third stage 
is depression and detachment. It's feeling overwhelmed, it's feeling helpless and having a full and complete lack of energy. It's the sadness that we experience after denial and shock, anger comes detachment and depression. The fourth stage of grief, however, is dialogue and bargaining. In this stage, you might be reaching out, you desire to tell your story, but you're still struggling to find meaning. You're trying to bargain, try to figure it out. And this is where the story of God, I believe, helps us in this detachment and bargaining to figure out what's going on. Who am I? What am I living in light of? What's the life script that I'm believing and trusting in? And then reminding yourself, okay, thinking about the gospel, what God has done in Christ for you and for me, and then the hope that we have in the future and the reality of what we live like, like in the present. After dialogue and bargaining come acceptance, where you begin to explore options and create a new plan where you begin to realize, okay, if that's the story, here's then how I should think about my life and how I can move forward. And then sixthly is acceptance. Or sixthly is actually returning to a meaningful life. Sorry, not acceptance, that's number five. So you return to a meaningful life. Now I'm gonna guess for many of us, I I think the reality of this coronavirus and COVID-19 is that the meaningful life that you had two or three weeks ago is gonna be very different than the meaningful life that you could have near the end of it or the meaningful life that you have the opportunity to live over the next little bit of time. But in order to accept that, you need to grieve the changes that are happening. But we also need to consider as we go through our grief, the story of God and where we find ourselves in it. And that at the end of this story, there is hope. And we're not alone. That God is with us every single step of the way. A third thing of what I think this all means for us is that I believe that God has provided opportunities for us in this time. Now you might be saying, opportunities, what do you mean? Here's what I mean by opportunities. Here are some examples. First, it's the opportunity to experience trial and maybe even suffering for the very first time in a real way. I was thinking this week about what James wrote in James 1, verses 2 to 4. He said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He writes, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What James is saying is that there is an opportunity in trial an opportunity in suffering that nothing else in life will provide for you. That's an interesting perspective that there's opportunity in this trial and in this suffering. In some ways, expansion of your faith. Secondly, I think another opportunity in this time is to have the idols of our hearts exposed. To have the idols of our hearts exposed As I said earlier, maybe for you it's control, which let's be honest, we all live under this illusion of control and suddenly what's happened is you've lost control. You don't know what the next couple of months are gonna look like. You don't know where your income is gonna come from. And so you've lost control, but control was never ours in the first place. And so maybe an idol is being exposed, something that you need to repent of and to step out in faith about. A third opportunity that's being provided is maybe a reminder of what really matters and who really matters. 
what really matters and who really matters. I was texting with somebody the other day and they said, I have not spent more time with my kids ever than before this. And they're seeing it as an opportunity of what really matters and who really matters. What could it be for you? A fourth opportunity, it could be slowing down. Now you might say slow down, that's pretty obvious for the person that maybe has been laid off work. But I think there's also an opportunity for those of us who actually are in careers where it feels like things have been ramped up. And for us to learn the practice of what it means to slow down, to take a Sabbath, to spend time with God every single day. And so there's an opportunity here to slow down. I want to read you a couple of verses. Psalm 46, verse 10, we read this. Be still and know that I am God. If you go backwards in the verse, know that I am God. Okay, we want that. What do we have to do for that to happen? Be still, writes the psalmist. Or how about Isaiah 30, verse 15? In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. An opportunity here to slow down, to be quiet, and to trust. Fifthly, an opportunity being provided is to innovate and ask for wisdom. To innovate and ask for wisdom. Maybe you're used to doing things a certain way and this self-isolation has put in front of you an immediate barrier. What's the opportunity, however, to innovate and to seek wisdom from God on how to move forward, to be dependent on his Holy Spirit, to know what to do next? It's an incredible opportunity. And then sixthly, another opportunity is to share the good news of the gospel, maybe with ourselves again, but most certainly with other people. As I said, I believe this is an opportunity for witness, an opportunity to share with others the reason for the hope that is within us, for us to be reminded personally of who God is and what he's up to, what we've seen him do in the scriptures and the story thus far, and what we are going to see him do in the future, but then for us to be people that care and love and serve those around us and to a new degree. And maybe it'll look like more physical distance, but maybe you learn to love and to serve them to a new degree through depending on the spirit, asking for wisdom and loving and caring for other people. I want to take an opportunity now to hear the testimony of somebody by the name of Emily. And Emily was actually planning today to get baptized. We actually had five people that were gonna be baptized today on March 29th. Now we're gonna postpone those baptisms, obviously, because we're not doing them today. And we look forward to that day. But in the meantime, I wanted you to hear the story from Emily of her relationship with God and how she has been thinking in light of the story of God, of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Morning church family. I hope everyone's doing well at home. My name's Emily and I just want to share a bit about my testimony and about my uh, journey with Jesus. Uh, Yeah, so I uh, grew up in in the Catholic church with my family and that's really where I learned a lot about authority and about um, how God is a righteous God. Um, But it wasn't until grade six uh, when I started going to a Pentecostal youth group where I started learning more about uh, who Jesus is and um, and what it means to have a relationship with God. Um, he'd, I definitely had a relationship with God before then, but it was more of a distant relationship and I didn't realize that he was the Lord that actually um, wanted to deeply know who I was. 
Um, yeah, so a bit of a throwback from that. Uh, between grade four and grade 10, I um, dealt with a ton of anxiety and I would often go to my parents for help, but I started to um, write letters to God and to read my Bible during that season because I knew that um, the Bible and what was in the Bible was true. And when my mind was spinning and I felt out of control, I could go to that and I could go to that truth. And that really set a huge foundation for me in my relationship with Jesus that still carries over today. Um, yeah, a verse that really stood out to me during that time was Psalm 4, verse 4 to 5, which was, Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your heart and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Yeah, so that became a hallmark verse for me. Um, from there, I started going to high school and into my first years of university. And I, um, I'm in my third year of university now. I don't think I mentioned that. Um, anyways, that was really where um, God went. Um, I, we, I started my a deep relationship with the Lord, but um, it was often associated with a lot of guilt and shame. Um, yeah, so the Lord was really uh, working through me during different uh, situations and trials in my life and uh, just constantly pursuing me and saying um, and speaking into my heart about no like I, I love you and um, no matter what has happened I, uh, I am bigger than that and uh, I sent Jesus to cover that and that is how much I love you. Um, yeah so it's been a constant journey uh, with the Lord through that. Right now um, in my life the Lord has really been challenging me uh, to use art as a form of worship um, as a way, uh, it's something that I can give to him and something that he's gifted me with. Um, yeah, so I've been working on that and kind of reflecting each month uh, and saying, okay, Lord, what have you taught me? Um, what more can I learn? What do you want to teach me? And I've also, uh, this is also a thing that I've been working on for a long time, uh, but I'm working more on discerning what does it mean to, uh, to be able to listen to the word of God found often that I will do, I'll read my Bible and I'll write, but I won't listen. Um, and I think that's something that I can work on. Uh, but I am trusting in the Holy Spirit to uh, move my heart in that way and uh, trusting that he'll meet me in that. Um, yeah, another verse that's really stood out to me is 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. This is the message version. Uh, God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home, and matures in us, so we are free of worry on Judgment Day. Uh, yeah, I just love that image, and I want to uh, send you guys off with that image of uh, your life being a house. And I know for me, uh, God is still working on those rooms. Not every room um, has been surrendered to Him. Um, most of those rooms, I don't know what they are, because I often feel like I've surrendered everything to Him, but I know that the Lord and the Holy Spirit still has a lot to do in my life. Um, yeah, so that's just a bit about me. I hope you're all doing well. Have a wonderful Sunday. Well, I want to end today by reading 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 7. First, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 7. Someone read this as part of one of our hourly uh, prayer times this week. Just a reminder, we have daily prayer every single day from 12 to 1, and you can find the Zoom link for that uh, on our website. But here is what I wanted to read, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. And my prayer for you and for our church family and for our city is that we would experience this suffering, but that we would also experience God's comfort in the midst of it. As I said, today at noon, there's going to be a time of prayer. Tonight at eight, there's going to be a coffee hangout also at the same Zoom link. Lots of opportunities for us to connect over the next period and the next season. We'll see you next week. You are loved and may we continue to pray in Guelph as it is in heaven.